On this Memorial Weekend, I'm displaying for all to see the United States Navy's amphibious assault ship, the USS New York, an awesome instrument of freedom and peace, commissioned in New York City in 2009. It's the fifth in a modern class of warship designed for missions that include special operations against terrorism. This 684-foot vessel carries a crew of 360 sailors and 700 combat-ready Marines who could be delivered by helicopter and by assault craft. The USS New York was built using several tons of scrap steel from the downed World Trade Center. The scrap steel was melted down in a foundry in Amity, Louisiana, and seven and a half tons were used to cast the ship's bow section. When it was poured into the molds on September 9, 2003, those big, rough steel workers treated it with total reverence, recalled Navy Captain Kevin Wensing, who was there. He said it was a spiritual moment for everybody there. The foundry's operations manager said, that when the Trade Center Steel arrived, he touched it with his hand. And he said, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. It had a big meaning to it for all of us. Now, part of the ship's motto will serve as the title of the message today. Just two words, never forget. Let's say it together. Never forget. And again, one more time. Never forget. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this gathering. And Lord, we know that you are in our midst. You're, in, you're present. You, you said that you would be present wherever we would meet and wherever we would focus the light on the word of God and wherever we would invite the sweet Holy Spirit, to do his work. And so this morning, we ask that the Holy Spirit have freedom in this place, in every heart, in every soul. May our minds be clear and our purpose be right. May we come to learn, to know, to see, to experience the wonder of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let me explain some of the things I just said in my opening, because someone may consider the motto of USS New York, never forget, almost as holding a grudge. But I want us to focus on this idea, that if we forget our past or things that have happened in our history, then it is likely that that history will repeat itself. I, for one, Never want to forget the price that's been paid so I can enjoy the freedoms which I have grown to really appreciate. So the very freedom we're enjoying today, this hour, is thanks to sons, daughters, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, siblings, and many other family members and relatives and friends in, in our nation, and we are grateful to every one of those families 
Aren't we, church? <clears throat> Let me also say thank you to those of you who have served our country and to those who wear the uniform today. We as a church hold you in high regard. I've read the stories. I've researched. Many people lost uncles in World War I, cousins in World War II, foxhole buddies in Korea, high school classmates in Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and elsewhere around the globe. My own dear father and two of his younger brothers served for nearly six years in the European theater of World War II. One of the brothers captured and imprisoned for 33 months in a Nazi POW camp. Now having said all of the foregoing, and all of that is great and we must never forget. But I want to bring to you another thought this morning. And it's this that the one whose sacrifice means the most to me personally. Can you think of his name? Jesus Christ. You see, those who were sacrificed in war gave us what I call political social freedom. But Jesus Christ gives us eternal freedom. No matter what you think, my friend, Jesus is real. His sacrifice is real. His salvation is real. His power is real. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, just like the prophets had said. Tacitus, perhaps the greatest Roman historian of the first century, speaks volumes of Jesus. Josephus a Jewish historian, born A.D. 37, tells of the crucifixion of Jesus from the Jewish point of view. The Encyclopedia Britannica uses 20,000 words in describing Jesus. That's more space than is given to any other single individual. Aristotle, Cicero, Alexander, Julius Caesar, Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed, all of whom lived worked and died and left their mark on history. But no one marked history and the future of mankind nearly as much as Jesus, our Christ. You see, Jesus is the very hinge pin of all human history. Since his death, burial, and resurrection, he's given us two major jobs to do until he returns. One, love one another just as God loves us. And two, share the good news of Jesus as the Christ to everyone, everywhere. And I wonder, as we memorialize the human sacrifices for our social freedom, have we done what he has asked us to do? And how do you share Christ effectively and with clarity? How do you do it? Joseph Turner was an English painter of some renown. 
He painted a picture of a storm at sea. Those who view it say that it was so realistic, you could almost feel the wind and the spray in your face. When asked how he captured the essence and intensity of the storm so completely, Turner said, I went to the coast of Holland and I hired a fisherman to take me out to the sea in the next storm. Entering his boat as a storm was brewing, I asked him to bind me to the mast. Then he steered his boat directly into the teeth of the storm. Turner said the storm raged with such fury that at times I longed to be in the bottom of the boat. Not only did I see the storm in its raging fury, I felt it, he said. It blew into me, as it were, until I became part of it. When all that was done, afterwards I returned to my studio and I painted the picture. The question begs, how do we show someone the real Jesus? The same way Joseph Turner painted the picture of the storm, we have to experience Jesus. All the way from creation until his return. So with that, let's get the answer to the question. How do we show someone the real Jesus? So let's take a look at our Jesus book. Hope you have yours with you, or you have it on your app, or whatever you're using. And there are two or three things that stand out. First, the Apostle Paul says, in Ephesians 5 and verses 30 to 32, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now this is how we identify with Jesus. He is the head, and we are the body. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. In both, we, the church, are inseparably joined to Jesus, the Christ. Some of you may disagree with me, and that's fine. People choose to be wrong. Marriage, marriage is no mystery. Consequently, Paul is referring to something else other than human marriage when he says, this is a great mystery. And matter of fact, there's another translation that says this is a profound mystery. So as we look at this mystery, we might even get an entirely new viewpoint about someone we often forget, maybe because we're trying to. A man by the name of Adam. I'm sure you've all heard of Adam. And so it calls for a little background, so let's do it. The Bible, from page one, line one, all the way to the last word of the last book, the Bible is a book, let me remind you, the Bible is a book 
about Jesus. So let's start on line one, page one. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And you said, so where's Jesus? Well, we go over to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and we read verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. So the picture is starting to be formed, but it's a bit dim yet. We just started the painting. We're painting with broad strokes and very little detail. We think we see what we need to see, but we don't see it all yet, so we're going to press on. But as we dip further into the New Testament to find the detail to more clearly see that it is Jesus as he stood in eternity past, if you want to use that phrase, and spoke this universe into existence. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. Jesus, this is who he was speaking of beforehand, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Let me stop there. That doesn't mean he was the first to be born, but ranked first above all who are born. Firstborn of every creature, not the first to be born, but ranked first above all who are born. First and last, remember, Alpha and Omega. For by him were all things created, oh, that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now from this we See Jesus, God, our Jesus, the Word, is the one who created, the one who holds this creation together. That's the first picture, or the first part of the picture that I want you to get clearly in your mind and in your heart. Now the second picture, I go back to Genesis and I go to chapter 2 and read verses 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. If you're note-taking, it's worthwhile to get this in your notes. Adam, the first Adam, is a picture of... Of Jesus. The deep sleep is a symbol of the death experience. Some people say he died. I don't think he died because there had been no sin yet. The taking of the rib most likely caused some spilling of blood. And the word right here says that God literally built or made, that word build means made a woman. God built a woman using existing material. And it's so interesting that it's a rib. 
Because a rib is found just under the arm, and so that signifies protection. And a rib is very close and encloses the heart, and that shows love and caring. We have no idea how long God took in building Eve. I would think there was some time that maybe passed, and then when she was complete, no matter how long it might have taken, God brought her unto the man. That which was wrought by the deep sleep and the spilling of blood is now complete and is returned to the one who complied and obeyed for it to happen. Adam, the first Adam, is a picture of Jesus. Ephesians 5, 25, 26, 27, as Christ also loved the church, and he's talking here to husbands and wives, gave himself for it. Then verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So now we have the first two pieces of our picture together. I want us to look at the third picture because it brings us directly to the great mystery. I want to go back to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we read, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. I think most of you know the story up to this point. I think it's been repeated and, 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 and taught and spoken of. But I want to just remember, for us to remember a few things that maybe you haven't heard before. God told Adam he could eat of any and all trees in the garden with the exception of that one tree of knowledge of good and evil. I want you to also know that this conversation with Adam occurred before Eve was built out of Adam's rib and brought back to him. I don't know if you've ever considered it, but I want you to think about this. Perhaps, perhaps Eve's information was secondhand. Maybe she didn't understand it completely. Maybe Satan knew he could, couldn't get to first base with Adam I don't really know why, but Eve was easily swayed. She had more faith in Satan's lie than she did in God's word. But what does that have to do with Jesus? I mean, Adam clearly blew the assignment. There's no question. Eve offered it to him, and he ate. Someone has suggested that basically it was a computer problem. Well, they had an apple. Very little memory, one bite. <laughs> and the whole thing crashed. Oh boy, did it crash. I've often heard people say, I've even heard preachers preach it. 
First thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, boy, I'm going to look up at him. You are? Yeah, I'm going to punch him out. He started all of our problems. You see, the reason we say things or anybody would say something like that is we're looking at it from our point of view. I want to do something that I'm going to guess no preacher's ever done for you before. I'm going to take a look at this from Adam's point of view. Here you are. God's perfect man. (laughs) You have a complete control over all living creatures. It's called dominion. Wow. Everything you need for a fulfilled, I mean comfortable, have everything satisfying life has been provided. God comes down in the cool of the evening for real quality time with you every day. Wow. Sharing all of this with a perfect wife. I mean, the guy's lucky. He had the most beautiful woman in the world. Well. She was a true help, a true partner. She was designed and built explicitly for his complete, total satisfaction and enjoyment. And she was someone to share all of God's bounty with. And now, where is she? She's dirtied herself. She's turned from God. My friend, the curtain on humanity has fallen. She's separated, not only from God, but also from Adam. And Adam now finds himself looking across a great gulf and wondering what to do. Look at poor Adam. He's still holy. He's still walking with God. He is still God's man. No spot, no blemish. But he's lost his wife, so to speak, the love of his life, the help that God built, just especially for him. Yeah. In essence, she's gone. Her sin has ripped them apart. I can imagine Adam considering an eternity without the one God built for him. God had said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. So a big part of his life is now missing. I'd, I'd like to think that Adam thought, I love her so much, so, so, so much, that I'm going to be willing to give up the glory of God's fellowship just so that I can be with her so that I can share with her God's gracious plan of salvation, so that we can continue in the openness that God gave us here in the garden. Think about it. It was the only, have you ever thought of this? It was the only way Adam could reunite with Eve to father the godly line that would ultimately bring salvation to the human race, to you and to me, beginning in that stable in Bethlehem. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 14 and 15. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And in Romans chapter 5, we read these words, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned 
from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come? Adam, according to that, was a figure of him to come. A shadow or a pattern. So Adam, too, paid a great price to be reunited with the love of his life. As the first Adam did for his bride, listen very carefully, so too Jesus, the last Adam, does for mankind to save his beloved bride, the church, from an eternal separation. Wow. Jesus, our Christ, our sent one, gave up his glory. He left the perfection of heaven and the fellowship of the Godhead to become, hear me, sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states it very clearly. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange. You see, Romans 5 and 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, Huh? Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were, many were made sinners, that's all of us, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The first Adam, by one act, brought death and separation. So that the last Adam... Suffered separation, oh my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That he might bring life, fellowship with God, and eternal peace and fulfillment. Not just to some, not just to a few, not just to what they call many, but to the whole world, to you and to me. Why don't we take a moment and give him praise in the church this morning? by faith, taught the plan of redemption to his sons. Here are the results. Abel followed in faith. And he brought a sacrifice according to God's word. Cain invented religion. Where did religion go? You can thank Cain for that. You see, he brought what he wanted, not what God required. And he brought a sacrifice, and at least that's what he was calling it, according to his own good works. And that's why we say, with assurance, Cain invented religion. You say, whoa, did, did it stop there? I'm so glad it didn't. 
Cain, following the dictates of the flesh, angered by rejection and influenced by Satan, attempts to wipe out the godly line. How? By murdering Abel. Did it stop there? Is that it? Is that there in the picture? Do we have to put the brush down now? Is it over? Is it hopeless? Adam then fathers Seth to keep the godly line going. Here, get this. Because if you've read this in your Bible like I have hundreds of times, you may never have had it explained to you. The great mystery that puzzled the Apostle Paul was not two people becoming one flesh in marriage. That wasn't the great mystery. But like Adam, Jesus would give up all that he had in heaven to become sin for me. Say those three words with me. Sin for me. He who knew no sin hung on a sinner's cross and took all the sin of all the world of all time. That's the great mystery. He wanted so much to be united with the church, his bride, in an eternal oneness that awaits all of us who are believers and who trust him for our salvation. I hope that's you today. I hope that you're in that number. And if not, this can be the very day you get in that number. That's the great mystery. That Jesus, the Son of God, could love us so much that he would toss it all just to be with us now, thank you, dear Jesus, and forever. Oh. Oh. Hmm. How's our painting coming? Well, there's still some shadows, still some broad brush marks. But I think the picture of Jesus is starting to really emerge. We need to learn to recognize what treasure we have in this book, his book, his word. Yeah, the Bible. What a treasure. More than a hundred years ago, a man picked up an odd rock from a North Carolina stream bed. It was different from most rocks, a little heavier. So he decided he would use it as his cabin doorstop, which he did. Several years went by, and one day a geologist who was hiking in the area stopped at the cabin, and immediately he noticed the doorstop. And even without a second look or any examination, he recognized that this was a huge lump of gold. Matter of fact, it was the largest gold nugget ever found at that time east of the Rockies. Wow. You know like the man who failed to recognize his own gold? We can easily fail to recognize our Lord and Savior unless we learn to see Him and walk with Him and listen to Him by staying in His Word. Some years ago, an old country preacher was invited to a social gathering in town, and they had a little program, and people were performing, and it was very nice, very pleasant. And the preacher asked an actor, who happened to be there, if he would mind reciting the 23rd Psalm. He thought that would be very nice. The actor agreed, and he said, yes, I'll do that, but on one condition. 
The old preacher said, well, what's that? He said, I'll do that if you'll recite it also. And the preacher agreed. And the actor's recitation was beautifully in tone, great dramatic emphasis. It's a beautiful psalm, as you know. And when he was done, he received a very polite applause. The preacher got up. His voice was rough and broken from many years of preaching, and his diction was anything but polished. But when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the room. A little later, someone asked the actor, well, what made the difference? To which he replied, I know the song, but he knows the shepherd. Today, you know the shepherd? Have you accepted him as Jesus, the Christ, the living Savior, as your shepherd? You see, when you do, trust me on this, please, when you do, there is no more mystery. The picture of Jesus is then complete. Friends, as we pause to honor those who gave their lives for our political freedom, let's also remember the one who sacrificed his life in the great colossal conflict to give us eternal freedom from sin and its penalties. That's a freedom that gives us abundant and eternal life. That's a freedom that exempts us from condemnation and eternal punishment. Wars between nations come and go. Toynbee, the great historian, said that in all the years of human history there have been fewer than 400 years when there hasn't been war of one kind or another. Wars come and go. But the sacrifice of Jesus as our Savior gives us peace now and forevermore. I, I, I just implore you. Matter of, fact, matter of fact, I want to use a stronger word. I beg you this morning, please, take this good news wherever you go. Share this good news with those who are struggling. People are struggling for peace and purpose and sensibility in their lives. People are looking for harmony in their homes and in their relationships and in their families. And people are looking for satisfaction in their jobs and, and, and in their community and, and, and in life in general. And you have the answer. Jesus solved the mystery. You walk with him. There's no longer a mystery to you. So share this good news with those who struggle, with those who seek to know peace, and to those who need Him as their Savior. And let's, 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 let's never, never, never forget. I'm going to ask us to spend some time in prayer.
And even before we go to prayer, I want to just ask this. If there's someone that you know that needs this message and needs to know Jesus as Savior, looking for purpose and meaning in life, they, they may not be here today, that's fine. But I want you to at least write their name down or get to get some excuse to see them or talk to them or be with them and share the good news of a Savior who gave it all that we might be saved forever. And if you need prayer, we have prayer warriors that are on on standby this morning and you can use the, the prayer space over in the corner of the, uh, of the room and uh, we invite you to come pray there by yourself, uh, ask for prayer with one of the prayer captains and, and, or, or, or just bring someone with you and you pray together. I want us to pray for peace. You know, peace doesn't start at the White House. Peace doesn't start at the State House. Peace doesn't start at the Town Hall. Peace starts in the hearts of men and women. The peace of God that passes all understanding, that's the peace that we long for. So if you're here this morning, and you don't have that peace, and you don't have that feeling of confidence, I'm going to ask you to pray that God will show himself strong on your behalf. And if you're here today and you don't know where you stand, or you know that you've never really truly accepted Christ, I'm going to ask you to use that connect card that was referenced a little while ago. And just put your name and your decision today on that. We don't need a lot of information, we just want to know that you've made a decision or you're in the throes of making a decision and we'd like to pray for you and we'd like to help you and we'd like to encourage and counsel you in whatever way we can. And if you just fill that card out and leave it with us before you leave, that'll be an indication that God has worked in your heart today. So with all these things, and I know several people out here today with burdens, very heavy burdens, and we want to remember you. We want to remember all those situations that people find themselves in and pray for God's peace to rule. As I said earlier, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know it's the spirit of the Lord because there were sweet expressions on each face. And I know, and I know that that's the spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Without you, we are nothing, we can do nothing, we, we, we don't have a future. But Lord, with you all things are possible, and the mystery is solved. And Jesus, the last Adam, becomes our great Savior. Just like the first Adam, he wants to be united with his bride, the church. And we want to be part of that great celebration. God, if there's even one here today who's outside of your grace and has hesitated to decide, may this be the day of decision. 
and for every need that's represented in this room. For every decision that needs to be made, for every direction that people are taking, I pray your hand of blessing will be upon them. And I pray your Holy Spirit will guide them. And I pray that Jesus Christ, our Savior, will receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise as we continue to lift him up in worship in this place. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.